The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world from the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. We are now in the middle of Advent. We finished Thanksgiving. I hope all of you had a very, very good Thanksgiving. I know I did. Um, And I know that gluttony can be a sin. Okay, I understand. (laughs) However, a good nutritious meal is not a sin. And I'm willing to bet there's a little bit of leeway between the two. Okay, (laughs) and maybe there's also a little bit of a over kind of line between gluttony and maybe eating a little bit more than you should. <laughs> I'm willing to, now you may want to call me a laxist when it comes to this this stuff, but, you know, if you had, you know, a second helping of turkey, I'm not sure that makes you a glutton. Um, you know, maybe if you had both a piece of pumpkin pie and maybe a little bit of, you know, a little bit of chocolate cake, eh, I'm not sure that makes you a glutton. You know, maybe it's a little bit of over overeating, but you know, so I'm willing to kind of cut us a little bit of slack on Thanksgiving. So Tom, give me a report on your Thanksgiving. Now I think you mentioned it was going to be pretty small, just you, your mom, and your your dad. And yep. I think you were going to a restaurant, weren't you? That's correct, Lucy. Yes. We went, I would say we went to a local Italian restaurant. So I loved it. I thought. Um, I thought that it was really delicious. The only problem I see here was my dad's more a traditionalist. Right. So the stuffing, I love this. They put um, like uh, sausages in the stuffing, right. like Italian sausage into the stuffing. Okay. And my dad wasn't too crazy about that. Okay. And they also had, uh, instead of having a regular mashed potatoes, they did mashed um, sweet potatoes, which I thought was really excellent too. So I think he was a little, you know, I think he likes his traditional stuffing and potatoes and old school, but mom well, and I were, mom and I were very happy. <laughs> so, but so let's, let's, let's break down the meal. So you went to an Italian restaurant mm-hmm. as a first course. Did you get a little pasta or no? We did. We got a little bit of pasta. We got um, some, I guess it was, we got rigatoni um, okay. with some nice fresh cheese on it. And then we got the soup. So we got a little bit of the, it was like a, uh, I guess maybe a turkey broth um, with some noodles and stuff. And then we went into the main and, um, but I have to tell you, Monsignor, it was really very good. And I was very pleased they served for, for a fancy restaurant. They served the old school cranberry out of the can, which I like. Uh, My favorite kind uh, of cranberry. uh, 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 Tom, you're disappointing me because (laughs) I mean, there are two things. Which now in my older age, which I just find to be just unacceptable. Okay. Okay. In the can cranberries. And the reason why I find it unacceptable mm-hmm. is because to make cranberry sauce from scratch, mm-hmm. it is so easy. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you, want, you want me to tell you how? Sure. You take the cranberries, mm-hmm. you put them in a pot on the stove, you throw a cup depending on how much you throw a cup of sugar in the pot mm-hmm. you turn it on low and a half hour later it's done oh wow that 
even I could cook that one. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you want to put a little water in it. You can, if you want to put a little orange juice, you can. I mean, but the basics, uh-huh. throw the cambers in the pot because you, if you don't put water, keep it very low and, and then the sugar, but you got to oh, put okay. the sugar because well, yeah. no, the cranberries are taught. Okay? Right, right. And you know, that that's it. So anybody who says they can't make cranberry is just kind of just not real. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Now, applesauce is exact is exactly the same. A mm. little bit more work because you do have to peel the apples. Sure. But you could not peel the apples too. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, so you just peel the apples. You core the apples, and you just kind of slice them up a little bit. And you throw them in the pot. And this is about an hour later. Okay. You you mash them and you're done. That's all. Oh, wow. Are. Okay. Now, okay. Now, I'll tell you, though, with applesauce, because I've been making it for years, depending on what you want to do, you throw some cinnamon in. Yeah. You can throw a little bit. Uh, I sometimes throw a few cranberries in. Yeah, I could see that. Because that gives that. You can throw a few raisins in. Um, so, but again, applesauce, cranberry sauce, easiest thing in the whole world. No excuse for anybody uh-huh. for not doing it. Okay, so that's just my my thing. So now let's go back to the restaurant because mm-hmm. I'm intrigued by it. So go back to the restaurant. Um, they had turkey. I know the turkey I thought was good. The turkey okay. was, and, and they, and they gave you a mixture of dark and light meat, which I was, did you, did I was happy. Dad, did you, was your dad happy with the turkey? Yes. He was happy with the turkey. In fact, okay. um, they gave us basically, we were one of the last people there. So they gave us the, the turkey carcass to take home. So ah. he was on cloud nine over that because ah. he can make his turkey soup. Okay. So that he was very happy about. All right. So, yeah. uh, so, okay. We'll go get to that. What about dessert? What they serve for dessert? Oh, well, you mentioned it before. They had, I mean, I asked, I didn't see it on the menu first, but I said, do you have pumpkin pie? And they did. So, uh, but when you mentioned gluttony, I did feel badly because I asked for it with uh, the, well, they had gelato. So I asked for it with the vanilla gelato and cream. <laughs> so I had the pumpkin pie, vanilla Listen, gelato and cream. I think you had a nutritious meal. <laughs> I don't think maybe a little bit of overeating, but to me, doesn't get anywhere near the gluttony. Doesn't okay. get anywhere near the gluttony. <laughs> but you know, but the stuffing, you stuffing, traditional stuffing mm-hmm. can have a little sausage in it. So that's okay. not, that doesn't make it not traditional. Okay. 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 So, uh, you know, uh, but anyway, so anyway, so I think that was, uh, uh, I think that was a great, great great thanksgiving so um it was <laughs> and you know uh, to our listeners i know tom's mom and dad uh they're they were okay they made it to the restaurant okay and they did they did yeah no it wasn't very far uh and uh so we were able to park right in front mom's walking's a little bit you know she's not great on her feet anymore but we we she got inside and in we other were right words, inside she the front door she didn't run the marathon this year. She didn't run the marathon this year. No, oh. next year, months a year. All right. Okay. So uh, anyway, well, that's good. So, all right. I'm glad you had a good, good Thanksgiving. Um, so let's go to our first guest. Our first guest is uh, the Reverend Dr. Shakima North, 
who is the vice president of youth development, um, equity and inclusion at Covenant House, New York. I am delighted that Dr. Shakima North is joining us on Just Love. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you all this afternoon. Now, I know, uh, Reverend Dr. North, I know we're going to talk about a very kind of important and serious, you know, topic of Covenant of Siva, but I got to ask before we get there, how was your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was amazing. I was able to spend some time with family and uh, eat some foods that I don't typically eat, right? Okay. <laughs> so it was an, amaz- it was an, an amazing uh, time. How about you? It was it was great. And we can compare menus. So I'll okay. tell you my All menu right. and then you tell me tell okay. me yours. Okay. Okay. So um I went to my cousins. I'm an only uh-huh. child. So my cousin, mm-hmm. my cousins are my closest uh relatives. Um and I gotta say we were we were pretty traditional. Um okay. and so we had turkey. Mm-hmm cranberry sauce, which I made. So, okay, so okay. homemade cranberry sauce, which is easy. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, I also made some rolls, which were which were easy too, with a little cram raisins in them. So kind right. of they, were, they, were, they were good. Um, some mashed potatoes, turnips, which I didn't eat, but don't tell my cousin <laughs> that I didn't, I didn't take, the, I pretended, but I didn't really take any of the any of the turnips and we uh-huh. had something. And so that's, that's what we kind of had. We had, okay. we had that. And, um, and also we had some sweet potatoes, sweet potatoes. So, okay. 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 So, um, and, uh, and far too many appetizers and hors d'oeuvres. Okay. And we had a, you know, we had a little bit of wine with it and a little bit of water. So it was good. Mm-hmm. It was good. Okay. 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 Now how about your menu? So, so we did not have Turkey cause we don't eat meat. Okay. Um, so we did salmon okay. um, and crab cakes, um, but then everything else is more of a Southern style. So we had baked macaroni and cheese and uh, dressing and collard greens. And I don't eat rice. So I did cauliflower rice for myself and then regular rice for everyone else. Um, candy yams. And we did have cranberry sauce, but it was out of the can. And I didn't, and I didn't eat any. <laughs> you like cranberry sauce? I do not. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know, next year, uh-huh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some of my homemade cranberry sauce. Okay. And you at least got to try it. You got. Okay. Try it. All right. I'll try okay. it. I'll commit. I'll commit to that. Okay. <laughs> so listen, I'm coming to your place because I like your menu, even though you know, <laughs> I'll tell you the one thing that you mentioned, which. I still can't get a liking for is those mm-hmm. collard greens. Really? They're Too so bitter amazing. for me. Too bitter. Well, you can put a little sugar in it to knock out the bitterness. Not All a right. lot, but just a little. All um, right. But All yeah, right. But yeah I, mean, I, I love them. I love the mac and cheese. So that's, okay. that's, okay. I love salmon. So that's, uh-huh. good, that's a good deal. So I, I could come to your place. Okay, I, good, okay, good. You know, I mean, I'm, so, I like so if I'm, if I'm gonna commit to eating your cranberry sauce next year, then you have to commit to tasting my collard greens next year. As long as you put a little sugar on them, I got you. Okay, we All got right. a deal. Hey, <laughs> Tom, got a deal. you got to keep us honest. 
<laughs> so that we make sure we do this, okay? I'll do that with you. Okay, so that's <laughs> that. That's good. So anyway, uh, uh, Dr. Noah, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on Just Love. And, you know, it's interesting. And I think it's, you know, it's important that we talk about this because Thanksgiving yeah. is a time in which, you know, so many of us are with mm-hmm. family. And so right. wonderful. And it, it, it's kind of a good, good time. And I don't think we should at all feel guilty about the good time we're having. But mm-hmm. we also have to remember that we got lots of people who neither have a home mm-hmm. or they don't have family. Mm-hmm. And we've got to remember them and we got to think about them. So tell Absolutely. us a little bit about Covenant House and the November sleep out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so at Covenant House, we provide housing and support services for young people experiencing homelessness. Um, this year, we're in our 50th year um, at Covenant House. Um, and in New York, uh, we're in a new building, right? And so we moved into that new building just about a year ago. I know your new ago. building. I visited yeah. it, so I know it. Oh, abs- oh awesome, awesome. How'd you, like the, how'd you like the place? Well, to be fair, it uh-huh. was probably a month before being finished. So I did walk through Okay, okay. A punch list of construction, but I love it. Okay. Looked okay. Really so, neat. but so you have to you have to come back and visit. But okay. Um. Yeah, we moved in about a year ago. The building was a purpose built building where our young people were involved in the design and naming of the spaces. Um. And it is really a place where they can access really all of our services under one roof, right? So food, clothing. Um, medical care, mental health services, job training, access to, you know, sports and arts uh, and more. And so and so we've been doing this work for 50 years. Um, and, and of course, we're working to a point where um, we're, we're trying to work ourselves out of a job. Right. Where youth homelessness is, is no longer an issue. Um, but in the meantime, we want to make sure that we're providing all of the resources that are necessary for our young people to move from homelessness to stability um, and independence. And so the Sleep Out um, is a movement that began in 2020, uh, 2010 to really help raise awareness um, about the issues of youth homelessness and to give supporters a way to really stand in solidarity with youth that are unhoused. And so during our Sleep Outs, you know, the participants make two commitments. So the first commitment is to help raise funding, right? The funding that's so important to us doing the work that we do to help meet the needs of the young people we serve. And and the funding is a very real and concrete way to support. The second commitment that they make is, and it's a, it's a complimentary, uh, tangible mark of solidarity, um, is where pr- participants commit to sleeping out on the streets for one night. Um, and the point that we, we make here is that, you know, participants are not pretending to be homelessness, homeless um, because we know that, you know, one night with no resources, um, no familial covering, no option, you know, that, that's, that's really different from what our youth are experiencing, right? So the participants can really opt out and say, you know, I don't wanna do this anymore, I'm going home which is not what our young people can do. And so sleeping out for one night can no, in no way be compared to what so many of our young people are going through and have been through. Um, but it is a, an important movement of solidarity really that helps us to raise awareness 
um, and funds to keep our doors open. And so the other thing I always like to say too, when talking about sleep, sleep out is what I love is the shift that happens um, with so many of our um, participants um, where there's a shift in perspective really um, with the lens through which they view homelessness uh, and youth homelessness in particular um, shifts from a view of like sympathy to empathy, right? So we know that, you know, sympathy is about pity and, and in some instances, piousness, right? Where we say, you know, I feel for you, but I'm sure, I'm sure glad it's not me, right? Or, or I feel for you, but, you know, what did you do to get yourself in that position, right? Versus empathy that says, I feel with you, right? And so, while again, participants are not, you know, pretending to be homeless, the experience to me incites, um, it, it's, it's about like impassionate heart work um, that really allows participants to put themselves in the shoes of our young people, if only for a night, right? To help them understand what it feels like when a young person has to sleep on the streets for one night or three nights or five nights, right? Or even more. And so, um, I, I like to look at it. I love, I love, you know, participating in Sleep Out and seeing that transition uh, that happens uh, with our participa participants. And so in terms of the November Sleep Out that just happened, um, we raised over $2 million um, at our New York Sleep Out. We had about 262 uh, participants that participated and it included teams from uh, Goldman Sachs, Delta, PIMCO, um, and Jeffrey's Financial Group, and their CEO also slept out and raised over $370,000 for the organization. Um, and that was just um, in New York. But, you know, Covenant House is an international movement. And, you know, we are in 33 cities across the U.S., Canada, Latin America. And so the sleep out movement overall raised about $15 million this year uh, for Covenant House. And all of that money goes directly to supporting young people um, on their individual journeys to independence. Thank you for, um, for sharing that with us. But, you know, in terms of raising awareness, um, mm -hmm. help our listeners to raise awareness about, and I know there's no typical young person who shows up at yeah. Covenant House. But give us a sense of who's coming to Covenant House. Right? And give mm -hmm. us a, just a sense in New York. I happen to know, and, and I'll share with our listeners who are not from New York, the new Covenant House is, oh, it's just right around the corner from Port Authority Bus Terminal, which mm -hmm. is- Right down the street, yeah. Which is, um, you know, one of the bus terminals where people- come to New York. So mm -hmm. give, give our listeners a little sense of the young people who kind of show up at Covenant sure. House's doorstep. Sure. And, and as you said, right, there's no one reason, right? There are many reasons. And so, you, you know, the young people that come to our door, some of them have experienced abandonment, right, from their family. Um, some of them have been abused um, physically, and sexually, um, some of them have experienced human trafficking, and 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 that can be sex trafficking um, or even labor trafficking. Um, many of our young people identify as LGBTQ, um, and which is which accounts for about forty percent of the homeless youth population. Um, some of our young people, and we've seen this more during and post pandemic is that a lot of our young people have some, you know, severe mental health challenges that 
um, you know, families that are really not equipped to support. And then it comes to a point where the young person can no longer stay in the home. Um, or perhaps, you know, you might have a young person who comes through our doors whose parent or, can't, or caregiver dies and there's no extended family or, you know, someone in the village um, to take care of them. And so there, you know, there's, there are many reasons. And sometimes some of those youth can fall into many different or multiple categories. Um, and so, as you said, yes, yeah, so Covenant House, we're located on the corner of 41st and 10th Avenue, right down the street from Port Authority. And sometimes kids who, you know, are looking for uh, covering for a night will, will end up in Port Authority. Some of them may take buses from other states um, and end up in Port Authority. And typically once uh, it is discovered that they are unhoused, they're they're referred uh, to us to, you know, come right down the street and, and seek housing with us at Covenant House. So again, I, we're, I know Covenant House, as you mentioned, is in 33 cities and it's in a number of foreign countries. But in the New York Covenant House, um, mm-hmm. how many of the people who kind of come there you know, are from New York, but how many are from other places? What's what give us give our listeners a sense of how that mix plays itself out? So the majority of our young people are from New York and are typically from um, Brooklyn. Um, And so out of the five boroughs, most of the young people are from are from Brooklyn. Um, But most of them are from New York. But then we do have young people who come to us from California. We have young people who come to us from uh, the Carolinas, um, and so they're looking to come uh, north or get to to the closest Covenant House. Um, and so, for some of them, they might wind up in the Covenant House in uh, in DC or PA um, prior to making their way to to New York. And again, all every every one of the young people is different, and they have a different mm-hmm. history, a different story, but. There are certain things that, you know, probably have a great deal of overlap and parallels among them, whether it's sexual orientation, mental health, thing, things of that nature. So they come to Covenant House. What do you hope to do with them, to impact them, work with them? What's, what's your goal with the young people who show up at Covenant House's doorstep? Yeah, so... I thought I was on mute, but I, yeah. So, so again, we want to provide them with the support services and things that they need to help uh, them to sustain themselves beyond their time with us. So we're talking about like education uh, services, right. And employment services. So we help youth seek employment. Um, and, and that employment is based off of, you know, what, what they're sensing for themselves as, the thing that makes their heart sing, right? So some young people might want to go to culinary school. Some young people might want to, you know, go into security so that they would get a security guard license with us. But then we also teach, you know, young people life skills, right? To help them to effectively be able to meet, you know, the the demands of everyday life. And so that's everywhere from independent living skills to housekeeping to how to do your laundry. Um, to financial independence, right? Budgeting, how do you pay your bills when you do get the uh, permanent housing uh, support that we assist you in getting? Um, and then even like, what does it look like, you know, to, to meet your identity and personally significant goals around like spiritual care? So we teach them meditation and things of that nature. And 
how long do do the young people generally stay with you? Yeah, so young people can stay with us in a crisis shelter um, for 60 to 120 days. Um, and then in our longer term housing programs, they can stay with us for up to 18 to 24 um, months. And after that, you hope that they can transition to a more permanent living situation and 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 a more stable life. Absolutely. And that's the goal, right? To get them to permanent housing, which we do also provide for young people. But but the reality of the situation is they're about what four four point two million um youth between the ages of 13 and 25 in the United States experiencing homelessness, right? And so the resources are very limited to meet the demand uh, that is there. So let me ask you an easy question, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, which I know the answer to, but I'm going <laughs> to ask this for our listeners. But mm-hmm. isn't this just a waste of time? Because, you know, these young people are lost. They're hopeless. Why bother spending all this time? Because they're just mm-hmm. going to be out on the streets again. They're going to be in jail. They're going to do drugs. So isn't this just a waste of time? Absolutely not a waste of time. Absolutely not a waste of time. Uh, One of the things that uh, Kevin Ryan, who is our um, president and CEO of Covenant House uh, International, always says that I just love is that, you know, the least interesting thing about our young people is that they are experiencing homelessness, right? So our young people are resilient. They're smart. Um, it, 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 you know, this is an investment, right, in their futures that is that is worth that is that is worth giving. And the other thing is, you know, while our young people may be vulnerable, um, and some people would consider at risk, they are all in reach, um, and so they just need somebody to extend that hand uh, to help them and to 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 give them the tools that they need to survive and thrive. Um, and we've seen hundreds and thousands of examples of that showing up in our young people. So it's so Dr. absolutely not hopeless. <laughs> so, Dr. North, with respecting all confidentiality, et cetera, is there mm-hmm. a particular young person who you have encountered over the years that particularly sticks in your mind as somebody who was definitely within reach and Covenant mm-hmm. House reached? Mm-hmm. I see that every day. Um, but one person that I would say particularly sticks in my mind is there's a young person that I met actually right before we moved into our new building. And this is also this story is also will kind of give you the explanation of why our chapel in the new building is titled the is called the Hope Chapel, um, the Hope Room. And so I met this young person who came into my office and, you know, when young people learn that I'm also um, an ordained uh, minister, they like to come and they like to talk to me about, you know, um, you know, their spiritual care needs. Right. Right. And so I was sitting and I was talking to this young person and this young person initially came to ask for a pair of shoes because he did not have a pair of shoes and he wanted to go to church and he wanted to go to worship um, at a place in the city. And so you know, naturally, I started to have a conversation with him, you know, asked him about where he worshiped. And 
And he started talking and he talked about, you know, some of the things that he was going through, the abuses that he uh, had experienced and the, and, the, and the hard times that he had met that led him to Covenant House. And I finally asked him after listening, I said, you know, so what keeps you going? Like, what, what makes you continue to fight? Why are you, like, you're coming in my office asking for shoes, right, to go to church, right? Why? And so he said one word that, I mean, it's obvious, right? He said hope. Um, and he said, you know, I, I have hope, right, that this situation for me is going to change, um, that, you know, my life is going to get better. Um, and I understand that this is just, you know, a part of, of my journey. And it was simple, but so profound that this young person who had, who was in, in, in it, right, in that moment, right, experiencing uh, such tragedy, um, where they're at the moment even living in a homeless shelter, can pull for hope to be the thing that would sustain him. And so... When, when we were talking about naming spaces, that was, you know, his story was the impetus for the naming of, of our Hope Chapel. So let me let me share with you uh, something I heard only within a few months ago. I'm sure mm -hmm. you're familiar with Children's Village. Yes. And Children's Village for our listeners is 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 not at all like Covenant House. It's a but. It does deal with, in a different way, with youth who are, and I'll use both phrases, both at risk and in reach. Um, and yeah. and the executive director of that was at the at a meeting where we were having a general discussion about a variety of topics, and he lamented the fact that one of the great challenges that he found with many of the youth which whom, with whom they deal is they didn't have hope. Mm. And because they didn't have hope, it was so very difficult to work with them in a way. He said, it's, it's not education, it's not money, it's not clothes, it's not mental. If they don't have hope, then it's really hard to move forward. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and that's really... You know, Monsignor, my my goal every day, right, is to show up and be a visible representation, not only of not just of like what unconditional love looks like, right. but my goal is to provide youth with a resilient hope, right? Yeah. Um, hope that you know can sustain them, right, as they continue to you know fight this fight, right, right. Um, and then to help them to build that muscle. Yeah. Listen. Thank you so much. I am just thank you for taking the time to be with us. Thanks for um, for the work that you do at Covenant House. Um, just just delightful. And I'm even even more grateful because I'm looking for a little bit of sweetened collard greens. Absolutely. Next <laughs> and uh, Absolutely. So, Dr. Shakima North, Reverend Dr. Shakima North. Vice President of Youth Development, Equity, Inclusion at Covenant House. Thanks for taking the time to being with us. Thank you. Just Thank on. you for having me. Thank you. Great. Tom, I think we will take a break and we'll be back 
on just in just a few minutes. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And the world will be more just than it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world from the perspective of our Catholic values. Hey, Tom, I know you're a dyed-in-the-wool New Yorker. Have you ever participated in the Covenant House sleepout? Uh, you know, I haven't, Monsieur. I When I was doing research for uh, the show today, I really... Um, I grew very interested in it. I, I, I have not yet, but I will. I may make it a point of doing that next year. Good, good. Yeah. All right, so let's go to our our next guest. Our next guest is Chuck in Goglia, who is the president of the National Council for Mental Wellbeing, and we're going to speak with him, obviously, about the, that that topic in light of some of the kind of maybe heightened awareness or the heightened conversation about the issue of mental well, well-being. And so I say thank you to Chuck and Goglia for being with us on Just Love. Thanks for joining us. 
Well, my pleasure, Monsignor. Nice to be with you. Great. Um, so why don't you, let's begin uh, by giving our listeners a little bit of sense of your background. How did you come to be involved in the issue of mental well-being, mental health, first aid? How did you, you kind of move your life in that direction of that being something you're involved in? Well, Monsignor, it's a great topic for this show, actually, because uh, when I graduated from high school, I entered a religious order, and we had a formation program uh, based in Washington, D.C. This was the mid-'80s when homelessness was really becoming a big problem in the United States, and obviously it has not abated since then. But uh, two nights a week, I was volunteering at a shelter for homeless women as part of my formation program, and I was very confused how so many of these women could obviously have mental illness and not be in any kind of treatment program. I started coming back during the day and hanging out with the social workers, and I discovered this thing called social work ah. and decided and became a became a social worker. Uh, and, you know, and eventually I left religious life, but I have uh, continued to uh, uh, focus on trying to create uh, more capacity in the United States to take care of care of people who have mental illness and substance use disorders and uh, have stayed in Washington doing that all these years. So now you are the president and the CEO of the National Council for Mental Well-Being. Um, but did you actually, as a social worker, do clinical social work? I did, actually. I, 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 you know, I knew I always eventually wanted to do public policy and try to affect more systemic change. But it was important for me to really understand then what was ha- what life was like on the ground. So I did work in a clinic uh, for several years uh, as a volunteer and, and or as a staff person uh, so that, you know, because, you know, the worst thing, right, is coming up with solutions that don't make sense, you know, <laughs> for people who are actually uh, delivering care. And so that's been something that was really uh, uh, important to me. So I worked here at a free clinic uh, in, in Washington for, for many years. So I th- I think I get a hint about this, and I know know the answer to this, but I'd like you to to speak about it. Um, I mean, most of the times when we talk about this this topic, we talk about mental illness, and yet the National Council has chosen for its title mental well being, and I'm certain that that is not an accident. So yeah. speak to it because I think. And I'll kind of prime the pump a little bit. I think it deals with some of the issue of stigma attached with mental. So tell, talk to us about that title, mental well-being. Yeah. So thank you, Monsignor. You know, the, um, you know, we went through a rebranding process several years ago. And I think talking to a lot of people, you know, our systems tend to focus on what's wrong with people as opposed to what's right with people, right? And and focusing on the illness or the problems that they have. And really what we wanted to focus on is what's the goal of treatment or what's the what do all of us want, right? Which is to have well-being in our lives. And so we thought it uh, made a lot more sense to really focus on, you know, uh, we enter into self-help or therapy or take medications or do any of these other things in order for us to have a sense of well-being in our lives. Uh, and I think it also puts into perspective what we what we all want, right, is uh, 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 to to feel be even keel. So uh, let's deal with the topic. Why do, why is there still 
kind of a, a real strong stigma attached to mental illness. Yeah, I think part of it, right, is that um, it seems mysterious to us. It's not something that we know about. And uh, you even think, you know, I, I, you know, uh, I hate to admit how old I am, but I remember when cancer wasn't something that we felt comfortable talking about, right? Because we didn't really understand what caused cancer or, or, you know, and, and I think mental illness, still, you know, mental illness and substance use still have a lot of that, you know, there's misconceptions, right, about what these illnesses are, how common they are or not, how effective treatment is, uh, that people can and do recover. And this is really, I think, leading up to your next question about why is something like mental health first aid so important? Uh, it's, it's to give people just some basic information, to give them some awareness to put into perspective what's going. And Monsignor, can I tell a story? Is that okay? Certainly, please. We like stories. You know, uh, I, I grew up the oldest of four kids, and uh, my mom uh, was kind of, you know, we kind of accepted that my mom was a little bit weird. And what that meant was that she never left the house, like almost never. And it wasn't until I was in graduate school in social work <laughs> that I understood what was going on, right, that she had probably had agoraphobia and that, you know, with treatment, her life could have been better. Our life could have been better. And really, that's one of the, the goals here of mental health first aid is to give people just a basic understanding about what mental illnesses are, what effective treatments look like, and how to talk to somebody who might be having a mental health problem to get them into uh, appropriate care. So give our listeners a little bit more about that. Um, what, you know, I, I mean, I remember many, many years ago, you know, when we took first aid courses, I mean, they would, you know, they would tell you if there was something bleeding, put pressure on it. Um, you know, don't put a tourniquet on it, but could pressure on it. it. You know, if if somebody has fallen or something, immobilize the area. I mean, that's about what I remember from yeah, yeah. the physical uh, part of, of mental health. I got to tell you, I always got screamish when you were supposed to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. But anyway, but um, so, but so apply that. Give us some of the tips of mental yeah. health. Yeah. First aid. Well, what a great segue, right? And, and I'm guessing, Monsignor, you've never had to use uh, uh, your first aid training, have you? No. Well, except, no, but the little things, somebody begins bleeding and you, you yeah. know, tell them to put pressure on or you know, something yeah. like that. Or if they fall, you tell them, don't move, just stay down, but not more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and isn't it funny that we're, we're probably more likely in our lives to experience somebody who's having an anxiety attack or oh. going through depression than we are of somebody who, who could, yeah. you know, really use CPR and, 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 and in a comparable fashion, right. Mental health first aid teaches a five point action plan. The first one, right. Is we really want to make sure that somebody isn't at risk of hurting themselves or somebody else. So that's really like the first thing, right? Because uh, then you need to do, take really more drastic action right. if that. But once you once you rule that out, right, that the person is not you know, at risk for suicide or or, or um, going to harm somebody, you know, what's the most basic thing that all of us need, right? Is somebody who can listen to us non judgmentally and to just be there with the person 
We want to give reassurance and information. All mental health first aid courses are taught by people who are from local communities, so they know what kind of treatment or other uh, resources are available locally. Uh, If appropriate, you want to encourage people to get professional help. And if not professional help, some people just need self-help or other kind of support strategies. And so there's a a five-point plan comparable to what regular first aid teaches that uh, mental health first aid uh, instructors, uh, uh, people who go through mental health first aid, uh, walk away with. And um, do a lot of people kind of take the course or take the, um, the training? Yeah, you know, we brought the course here from Australia in 2009. And since that time, uh, it's an international, just to just put that in context, right? it's an international program in 26 states. Uh, so in the United States, or 26 countries, rather, the United States is just one of the countries that is participating and uh, bringing this. But we've trained about 2.7 million people so far. Um, and our goal, uh, we would like to be able to train 22 million people in this country. And then that way, everybody uh, would have somebody in their orbit who had been trained and would be available to uh, support them. So after the training, I mean, let me let me give an analogy, okay? The analogy is kind of, if you train me to swim, I can then swim in the pool or maybe in the ocean if it's not too rough, et cetera, et cetera. After you train the 2.7 or the 22 million people, what will they be able to do after yeah. the training? Well, I think it's twofold, right? The, the program was originally- Oh, Chuck, I got to stop you. Did you go to the University of Michigan? I did not, but I'm from Michigan. Okay. Okay. So I'm a diehard Wolverine fan. Sorry. All right. Okay. I just wanted to wanted to. <laughs> they had a good game a few weeks ago, right? Last weekend was a great game. I went to the Catholic University of America, Monsignor. Yeah, but the, but the, but I got to tell you, they're not D one when it comes to football. <laughs> they are not D one. The Cardinal, the Cardinals try, but they are not D one. No. <laughs> the reason I Chuck, the reason I introduced you, I was I had some business I had to do in in South Bend in, in, in Notre Dame uh, a, f- a few days ago. And, uh, you know, you fall over from, from South Bend and you're in Michigan. Yeah. So you get a lot of Michigan people uh, hanging out in that area. Well, I'll just say, Monsignor, my son is a senior in high school. The only college I begged him to apply to was Notre Dame, and he denied me. But anyway, that's a whole other, <laughs> that, that is a whole other topic. But, you know, the, the, the question about what do you do with it? Well, so, you know, the program was designed, right, about how do you help other people? And it's been really interesting, you know, over the years, like we train firefighters and we train police officers and we train corrections officers with the idea that they would have these skills to use with with people that they come into contact with. But what we've also heard is that it's a great consolation to them themselves to understand what's happening with them personally, to understand what's happening with their colleagues. And so, you know, again, the, the question is that you have an awareness and an ability to have conversations with people because you've, you've got that baseline understanding. So what you'd be able to do, right, is to identify where somebody in your social sphere, a family member, a coworker, a colleague might be struggling and you'd feel more comfortable initiating a conversation with them, trying to get them connected to uh, appropriate help. Hey, 
Chuck Ngoge, who is the president and CEO of the National Council for Mental Well-Being. You've been so generous with your time. Thank you so much for joining on Just Love. And I think our listeners uh, are much, much more educated. If somebody wants to help and be down the road and getting you to the 22 million, how does somebody learn where they can take yeah. uh, this course? Yeah, if you, if you just go to the internet and type in mental health first aid, you'll go to our website and then there's a, a ability there to search for a course near you. The courses are also available online. So you, can, you have the option of whether or not you want to do it in person or join an online course. Great. Chuck, thank you so much for being with us. Chuck in Goglia, President and CEO of the National Council for Mental Wellbeing. Thank you for joining us on Just Love. Happy Advent, Monsignor. Same to you. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Join us when we come back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. 
just love. Just do it. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and more compassionate. You know, if the six billion of us in every part of the world, in all the continents, if they just individually, if we just individually did those things, love God more, love ourselves more, love our neighbor more, you know, we might not have to have all of these big policy discussions because the world would be more just and more compassionate. Hey, Tom, you know what I want to ask you? We've had some couple of big things here in New York, which actually people throughout the country are aware of. And Mm. to be honest, I'm a little bit eh, jealous in some ways because they're no longer New York events and they're more national events. So, Tom, Mm. how about the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? Do you like it or don't like it? I love it Um, only because my senior uh, and I try to catch it. I caught it on television this year, at least a little bit of it when I was up with my folks. I have memories of it, Monsignor. You know, my dad's day off was Thanksgiving, so we would go down to the parade. Uh-huh. And you'll, appre- you'll appreciate this. I We spent the bulk of the parade running after Santa Claus. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so we were always too late. And then we would go to Josephine Baird home, which was an old age home in the city, to visit my aunt. Sister Carmelita, who was a Carmelite nun. So that was my Thanksgiving for many years. So when I finally was able to go to the Braidman Senior, I was very happy. So I love it. (laughs) Great, great. But you know what I don't love about it anymore is it's such a big event that it's really, really crowded Mm -hmm. to go to the parade. So now you watch it on television. And, you know, years ago when you went, it was less, it was easy to kind of get close to see the balloons and Absolutely. Yeah. So so the other thing I want to ask you about, what about the tree lighting in Rockefeller Center? Yeah. You know, I I, I, it it kind of snuck up on us this year um, because it was November, I guess. And and so therefore it was last day of November. So um, it's funny. I I, I basically went on to the, uh, you know, onto social media. And I saw they lit the tree and I said, oh, boy, I said, you know, I would have maybe liked to have gone over. But again, like you said, Monsignor, I find that these events are getting so crowded that yep. you that you can't even like if you're in Rockefeller Center, you, you'll be across the street. You'd be better off just going to visit the tree a couple of days after it's lit. Well, you know, Tom, the same thing you said, and I feel this very much um, with Rockefeller Center it used to be, <clears throat> you know, if you worked in Midtown Manhattan someplace. You know, at the end of the day, you'd kind of maybe walk over there. And I think they lit the tree maybe closer to six o'clock or something Mm -hmm. like that. And you'd kind of go over there and you could stand there. Might be a little cold, maybe not. You watch the tree get lit. But right now, it's a whole spectacular. And and I don't think they light the tree till much later, Mm -hmm. you know, in the evening. And there's entertainment, which is okay, except. The crowds are such that you can't get anywhere near. So, you know, it's kind of a little bit more difficult. The other thing that I really get am, am kind of annoyed about is the blowing up of the balloons. Yes. That used to be a great event. And I'm talking 20, 25 years ago, but nobody was there. You just could walk there and you watch the balloons blow up. You maybe went around the, the corner to a local restaurant it was really nice, but now it's just so crowded that it's almost impossible to, you know, be able to 
to get to to see them. But I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad that they're now big events, et cetera. But eh, some of that little informal stuff is kind of nice, informal <laughs> that um, where you could just kind of do it without it being a being a big deal. So um, so is there anything on your bucket list for this Christmas, Tom? Yes, Monsignor. I think the one thing that, you know, I always like to do and, uh, you know, and I remember I used to do this more regularly when I lived out of the city, but maybe I'll do it again this year is to kind of just do the whole Fifth Avenue when you just go and you go and look at all the uh, all the windows and the stores and then you go to St. Patrick's and you go in and then you, you know, you see the crutch and and, uh, you know, you go and you see how the cathedral is decorated. That was always a big thing. And we used to top it off with ice skating um, at Rockefeller Center. So I don't think that again this Okay. <laughs> Tom, I think that's good. A little preview of what's coming up during the Advent Christmas season. Hey, thank you all for joining us on Just Love. But before you join us again next week, just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and more compassionate. Join us again on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.